first off, we're really sorry if you couldn't find a parking spot this morning on your way in, because <laughs> uh, we got out of last service kind of late. I think I was long-winded this morning. But so if you pulled in, it's like, I can't find a parking spot. I, it's on me. I'm really sorry. Now, last week, if you were here, I was talking to you about how my wife watches Judge Judy, and I told you she records like two episodes every, every day, and she goes... She goes, you need to correct that. So I'm sorry, I've got to to make this right. Uh, She records four episodes. (laughs) She deletes half of them because of the repeats, but she records four. So we had 70 people sign up to come to the lake day yesterday. Guess how many people showed up? 20. Now let me show you. This is Santa Maria. All right. This, this is the lake. All you had to do was get in the car. If you look at the front page of our website on the very bottom, anytime we, we Twitter, it'll actually post the bottom of our website, and we post it. It looks... It looks... It was like, yeah, well, it was 90, about, what, 90 degrees up there? Yeah, something like that. It's nice. It was nice. You all messed out. My brother's got this whole cooler full of food. That's left I, I took the, the grapes, by the way. Uh, welcome to Element. If you are new, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smartphone, you get an app called Uversion. And in Uversion, you click on Live. It'll bring us up by GPS, and you'll get the sermon notes and the questions and the verses and all the stuff that we go through. Now, I have two things before we start here. And this is like elementary school. I'm going to have you raise your hands for this. We are doing a thing on October 30th called Pumpkin Killing. Because it's a, it's a men-sponsored activities, and men like to kill things. So we're doing pumpkin killing. Uh, this is where you come, you bring your kids, your family, your friends, whoever. It's, it's young, it's adults and kids, whoever wants to come. And we have a couple who has graciously grown a pumpkin patch for us, and we're going to go and cut pumpkins and carve them on October 30th. Uh, it'll be after second service. So uh, just to get an idea, who, anybody who's coming, just out there? Wow, first service, like almost everybody. You guys are like lame. All right. You know what we're also going to do? We're going we're gonna to get like, I think, a big, uh, like a pumpkin rocket. And we're going to launch them. Who's coming now? Who's coming now? All right. We're, we're just checking because we want to make sure we're growing enough. We don't have enough that we're growing. We need to buy some just to make there's, sure there's enough pumpkins for all of you. Anybody like make those pumpkins with the faces that are really cool? Anybody know how to do that? Really? He's an engineer? All right. Okay. I want like a, like a Darth Vader head or something like that. One of those things. Uh, I, I know that you're, none of you are probably going to raise your hands to this either, but uh, when, when I actually get over on time, usually our services are filling up really, really full. And our first service is like packed, and so we've been talking about doing another service in the morning. We leave the, our normal two services at the same time, but do an earlier service, which I will tell you, this is like sacrifice for me because I will gnaw off my arm for an extra hour of sleep. Right? And so I... Would anybody come to like an 815 service if we did one in here? Four. I had 10 in the first service. So 14 of you. Hmm. If I need 14 more seats, I will let you know. <laughs> Why don't you guys stay on the free to God's word? We, you know, I, we tried this before. We had, oh, yeah, I'd totally come. We had one guy say this. Oh, I'd totally be there. Never showed up. I always went to the later service. This is Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, and it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontless between your eyes. You shall write them on your doorposts of your house 
and on your gates. Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that your words would be written upon our hearts so that we would live them and know them and we'd be able to teach those to our children and to those around us and that your glory and fame would spread before your people because your commandments have been written on our hearts. Amen. Have a seat. So we are in week 15 of the Song of Solomon. We've got one week left. I know that you're all very excited about moving on by now. Uh, But the book of Song of Solomon has been this book that's largely been neglected by the church today. And when it has been taught, it has been treated very poorly because the church seems so afraid to talk about sex. Well, the rest of our culture talks about it all all the time. And so we want to show you biblically what, what romance and dating and passion and joy are supposed to be as found in God's Word. So, so far in the Song of Solomon, we have looked at dating, we have looked at courtship, we looked at the wedding, we have looked at marriage, we have looked at intimacy, we've actually looked at their fight and how they argue with each other, we looked at their reconciliation and their restoration, and then their vacation away together. Now today, as we kind of bring this together, I've got two different topics, but I think they're going to mold together pretty well in, in, in how we go. As we've gone through this, I had a lot of people ask the question, you know, about, well, sex education for kids, when do we talk about it, what do we talk about it in light of all the stuff we've talked about through the book of the Song of Solomon. And to understand what I think you should do and how this works, we're going to walk through that this morning, because at the end of all this, hopefully you understanding the Song of Solomon, we want to help you to understand proper sex ed with your kids. Uh, open to Song of Songs, chapter 8. This is where we start, uh, start actually backing up a little bit to where last week was and then moving on. But chapter 8, verse 2, the woman says to her husband, she says, I would lead you and bring you into the house of my mother, she who used to teach me. I would give you spiced wine to drink, the juice of my pomegranate. Now, a lot of people go, well, where's the pomegranate? And we'll say, well, you get married, you'll find it out. And if you don't, come and ask me and I'll tell you, but you should go find it out. And what she's saying in this is that when she was a little child, her mother brought her into the house and her mother instructed her on issues of sex and relationship and marriage and boys. And for her now, when she says this to her husband, it's a double entendre. My mother used to teach me. I want to take you and teach you a few things as well, if you know what I mean. That's what she says. It's important for parents to be the ones who instruct their children about sexuality. Our society today has left all of this instruction to the public schools, and that's terrible. I mean, you could come home one day, and all of your bananas could be covered with condoms. You'd be like, what's going on there? That's the public school. You don't leave it to them. There are some people who have gotten married, and they've never had the talk with their parents about what it's supposed to look like. And so I would say if you are a parent, you start the talks with your kids when they're age 10. And it's not one talk, it's multiple talk. At age 10, you don't sit down and just lay it all out there. Don't dump the trailer because they're not going to know what to do with it all. You start the talks at age 10. And you continue them. You don't just say at age 10, uh, wait till you're married and be a virgin when you get married. And then at 40, check in and say, hey, how'd it go? That's not what you do. You have multiple conversations. This couple, they, they in their marriage can talk freely to one another, which means for their children, they can talk freely with their kids. And if you can't talk with your spouse about all this stuff, you're going to have a very hard time talking to your kids in a meaningful way. So you've got to start the conversation with your spouse and then with your kids. Now, statistically, with the advent of the Internet, the average boy sees his first pornography site at age 
11. This is why we tell you start the conversation at age 10. The number one consumer of online pornography today is teenage boys, 12 to 17 years of age. So get them before they get their information somewhere else. If your child is very curious, you might need to start the conversations earlier than 10. I believe that boys should be talked to by dad, uh, girls by mom. Now, I think you can talk to your child of the opposite sex a little bit, but most instructions should come from the person of the same sex because they understand them better. Now, at Element, if we believe that in, in redemption of things, and if you are a single mom and you have a son and you need someone to have this conversation with your boy, come and approach us and talk to us. We will connect you with a godly man, a godly father, and we will have him be able to have those conversations with your young boy. If you have, if you're like a, like a single dad and you, and you have a daughter and you're like, I can't have this conversation, come and talk to us. We will try and connect you with a godly mother who can have these conversations with your daughter so that they can be explained to you from someone who understands them. Uh, in this, you, you need to say things like, you know, your body is changing, you're developing, you're going to have curiosities and desires, and you need to make sure your kids understand you don't get your information from your friends or the internet. Well, a few years ago in England, they, England had this brilliant idea, and I say it sarcastically, that what they were going to do is they took a bunch of sexually active 14-year-old girls, and they paired them with other 14-year-old girls to give them the talk, so these other girls knew what was happening by the other 14-year-old I will tell you, the only thing one 14-year-old girl, girl is going to tell another 14-year-old girl is how to be stupid. All right, that's all it is. If you're 14 in here and you're going, I can't believe you said that, just proves my point right there. You know what I'm saying? You teach your kids biblically. What does the Bible say? And in verse 4, she says, I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, that you not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. This is great advice. She says, You need to wait. You will not know the other person if you awaken love before it's time, if you give yourself to them and you get involved sexually before you are married. And by not waiting, not only are you in sin, but you are being selfish, which is also a sin. Two selfish people do not last long. I have never had a married couple in my office who, who are two uh, servants of one another for marriage counseling. The people in my office are the people who are selfish and only want what they want and want the other person to always serve them. A Christian marriage is meant to be servant and servant. That's why we talk to you about this stuff. You need to be servant and servant of each other. People who are servants, they'll still fight, but they will learn how to resolve because they'll get along well. And when you serve each other, this is outside and inside the bedroom. This is a sign of a strong, immature marriage. And that's the big idea in the Song of Solomon. You learn to serve your spouse. And so you teach your kids this so they understand servanthood. They understand waiting. You do not want to be the dad that's like, Hey, son, did you tap that? You don't want to be that dad. You want to be the dad that says, hey, protect their honesty, protect their purity. And when your son comes home because he got in a fight at school and you say, why? And he says, because I was protecting somebody. You go, okay, I'm okay with that. That's the kind of boys you want to raise, the ones that protect those around them. Now, I know if you are unmarried in this room and you've been through the Song of Solomon, maybe it's kind of depressing for you. You know, it's not because like every week it's like more stuff you don't get to do. And you're like, I don't like this series. It's driving me crazy. I do got a question. Usually I give the married couples a question. I got a question for you single people to ask each other. And this is the question. Do you feel pressure to settle? Do you feel pressure to settle? Ask your single friends that. If you're in a GC and you have single people in there, ask them that question. Do you feel pressure to settle? You know, is it, well, all the Christian guys are lazy and they don't ask me out, so, but the non-Christian guys do, so I'll go out with them. You know, is it nobody asked me to marry them, but this guy asked me to move in with him? Well, that's good enough. Is it, you know, she's a nice girl and I'm lonely and bored, I'll stay with her till I find something better. Do you feel pressure to settle? 
because our culture actually puts massive pressure on you to settle. They, they come up with movies like The 40-Year-Old Virgin, and it's a comedy. It's a comedy. I mean, does that look like a guy you want to emulate, the 40-Year-Old Virgin in the movie? No, he's not presented like Martin Luther King or like Gandhi. You know, he's presented as the butt of a joke the entire movie. The woman in the Song of Solomon has single friends, and they say, is it worth it to wait? And she says, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. She says, it is totally worth it. And I don't want you to think that just because at Element we're very pro-marriage and and we, we, we love kids and stuff that you need to feel pressure to get married. We don't ever want you to feel that from us. Don't settle for the wrong person the wrong time and the wrong way. But for others of you in this room, you need to pick up the pace. I know some of you guys, you've been dating like five, six years. I mean, seriously, most people aren't even president that long, all right? So just, just pick up the pace, put a ring on the finger, do the deed before you do the deed. Just, just do it. She says, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up or awaken love until it pleases. It's totally worth it, but save your desires for the one that God intends for you. And so what she does, as her friends ask her this, she then reflects back upon her and Solomon's life together. She thinks of the good times. And again, this is very important if you're married. You must focus on the good times, not the bad times and all the things that irritate you. And I can't believe they did this or did that. You think about the good times. Think of your first kiss or your first date. My first date with my wife, we went and saw Wayne's World. I know. I, and I brought my friends and she drove. It's seriously, she should have, she should have dumped me right there, but she didn't. And, and you know, I, I'm very compassionate, right? I'm just full of loads of, whatever. So at the end, at the end of this day, you know, she's not feeling good. She opens the door of the car and she actually throws up. I have that effect. She throws up. And, and me, you know, Mr. Compassion, I go, oh, hey, are you hungry now? You want to get some pizza? That's my response. Right? So a few weeks later, because it takes some time to recover from me sometimes, a few weeks later I ask her, hey, can I, can I kiss you? And she says, sure. And I would love to tell you that it was magical, right? That I go over and I lean in, it's all, all the air, <laughs> nothing works, right? I'm like, I pull back and I go, um, can we try that again? I promise it'll be better, right? And so, and so she just laughs, and, and at least I make her laugh. You know, when we got married, I, I said, what do, you, what do you really like about me? And she said, you make me laugh. And I said, what if I stop making you laugh? She said, I will leave you. you know, so. <laughs> But I make, I make, maybe she shouldn't think about her first date. But, you know, you think about the times that are happy, that make you laugh and smile. When do you laugh together? When do you have, those are the things you think about. And I tell you this because you must remember and think about those good times. And this is where the woman goes. In chapter 8, verse 5, she says, Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree, that's like the, the little sweetheart tree. She says, I awakened you. This is, you saw me, and this is where you first started to dig me. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Now, this is a euphemism for meaning in, her, in his mother's house. They courted with the parents around them. Their parents were able to see what was going on, so they kept themselves pure, and they used to talk under this tree. So do you remember your first day, your first words, how you met, the words that attracted you to each other? Now, I found, I, I don't normally do this, but I found these online dating profiles, because I, I just want to show you kind of what's out there. I don't normally troll in the, well, just go with me here. <laughs> Imagine this is your first encounter. You know, would, would these words inspire you that you'd want to think back to the rest of your life? Here you go. Ready? Desperately lonely loser, single white male, 32, miserable, apathetic, tired of TV and watching my roommate's hair fall out, seeks depressed, unattractive, single white female, 25 to 32, no sense of humor for long talks about the macabre. Like, oh, click on that one. 
That's the dude I want. Okay, how about this one? Bitter, disillusioned, single male, recently rejected by a longtime fiancé, seeks decent, reliable woman. If such a thing exists in this cruel world of hatchet-faced witches. <laughs> Click. Here's another one. Patriarch of up-and-coming religion seeks altar girl. I'm like poop. The older I get, the easier I am to pick up. They think this is really going to find somebody, apparently. And th this is my favorite one out of all of them. Ready? Willing to lie about how we met. <laughs> now, now, let's see if this inspires you. Because what she does, essentially, she gives seven aspects of real love. This is what you teach your kids right here. Seven aspects. Number one, she says, love is personal. Verse six, set me as a seal upon your heart. A seal is a treasured possession. Today, this would be like your credit card or your social security number. It's like, I don't want to let that go. It's kind of key to who you are. She says, I want to be that seal on your heart. I want to be cherished above everything else. Second thing, love is protective, especially of each other. Verse, uh, she says, as a seal upon your arm. In this day, combat was done with the arm, arrows swords, those kind of things. And so she says, I want to be able to protect you and I want you to be able to protect me. If you are a man in this room and you are harsh with your wife, you need to repent because you need to be a protector. The third thing she says is love is powerful. She says, for love is as strong as death. Death is irreversible. So she wants their love for each other to be as strong as death. She's like, you and I said we love each other. That should never, ever change. Number four, love is passionate. Love is passionate. She says, jealousy is fierce as the grave. And this is not jealousy in a bad way. This is not distrust or guilty until proven innocent. Jealousy can be good. In Deuteronomy 4.4, 4, it says, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. It means that he loves us. He does not want you and I to betray him. He wants our relationship to be secure in who he is. That's a good jealousy. It's like I don't want anybody to have a relationship with my wife that is anything like the one I have with my wife. If she came home one day from the hospital and she says, Hey, you know, can you get your own dinner because Ben from the hospital is going to take me out for dinner? I'd be like, No, he's not because Ben's dead. <laughs> That's number five. I say, if anything that happens to any of these guys that name names, it'd be like, I'm going to jail. <laughs> love, is, uh, love is passionate. Love is passionate. She says, it's flashes or flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Ephesians 5 says, husbands, love your wives. Titus 2 says, wives, love your husbands. It's a command. It's a command. There'll be times when you do not feel like you love your spouse. You'll be like, I, don't, I can't stand them. But this is when your commitment comes through and goes through that. Love is passionate. And so you, you stick with that. It's this, it, this command by God to love them through all things. It's a fire that should be kindled. If you're in a place in your marriage and you feel like maybe the passion has gone away, you need to start praying to God that he would restore that passion because I think supernaturally he will. Number six, love perseveres. Verse seven says, many waters cannot quench love, neither can floods drown it. This means like a flood even as big as Noah's cannot put this fire out. Water, your entire relationship will be splashed upon you. But God's fire, when you have Jesus as the center of your relationship, does not get put 
out. Perseverance, steadfastness. This is huge in a relationship in the scriptures. Second Peter uh, 1, 5 through 8 says this, For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge of self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Five points of Calvinism. Fifth point is perseverance of the saints. This is huge in theology. Our God keeps going and he will bring you and I home. You may be leading, uh, bleeding and limping, but you should be moving forward. This should be true of your marriage. You never give up. Because if you do, you're just going to have to do it all over again. You move through it. And number seven, love is priceless. She says, if a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Money cannot buy it. You can buy sex, but you cannot buy love. Love is personal, protected, powerful, possessive, passionate. It perseveres, and it is priceless. Love cannot be taken from you. It can only be given. And when love is understood this way, what follows in the Song of Solomon, what everything we talked about before, all makes perfect sense. It is why we believe that we should protect our children and instruct them in the ways of love. Because there are some crazy people out there that want to teach them different things. And this is actually how Solomon's bride was protected when she was younger, by her brothers. In verse 8, it goes on, she says, We have a little sister who has no breasts. This means she's a little girl. It says, What shall we do for our sister on the day when she is spoken for? So what do we do when boys start coming around? What do we do? It says, If she is a wall, we will build on her a battlement of silver. But if she is a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. What it tells you is that there's two kinds of little girls. One, I told you this before, one are walls. They're impregnable. Boys do not get to them. Boys come up. Hey, you want to go out? No. Can I text you? No. Hey, you want to make out? No. 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 Boop. Wall. They're type of girls. They are doors. Every guy who knocks, come on in. It's like, hey, you want to? And the yes is out of their mouth before they even say what they wanted to do. It's like, it's all, all yes. You need to know your kids. And if your daughter is a door, you, for the love of God, you do not give them a cell phone or a computer in their bedroom. If your daughter is a wall, you know, what you do is you support her in her godly rudeness. That's what you do. <laughs> Adore. You treat her like a hurricane's coming and you board her up because boys will take advantage of her all day long. And this is what her brothers do for the girl in the Song of Solomon. So in verse 10, she tells you, I was a wall. My mother instructed me in her house about sexuality and I made the decision to be who I needed to be. Before the boys showed up, I made the decision. I was a wall. I'm not going to flirt. I'm not going to go boy crazy. And my breasts were like towers. Then I was in his eyes as one who finds peace. She matures into a woman and she waits for the one. She says no until the one shows up as I, as eyes as one who finds peace. That's her spouse. She tells all the wrong guys no and she waits for the right guy. Verse 11, Solomon, that's the right guy, had a vineyard at Balhamon. He let out the vineyard to the keepers. Each one was to bring its uh, bring its fruit, a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, my very own, is before me. You, O Solomon, may have the thousand and the keepers of the fruit, two hundred. She says, you know, Solomon, you have a lot of stuff, and I'm just a poor, simple country girl. And she says, but I have greater treasure than anything that you, you own, because I have kept my body safe and sacred, and I've given it to you and no one else. She has great self-worth. She's not going to be a little girl who grows up to be a stripper, you know, she says, I don't have any money, but I have this gift to give you. And that's not 
arrogance, and it's, it is simple confidence. She knows God loves her. She loves God. That's how she lives. And if we could just simply impart this to all young girls, that their worth is contingent upon Christ. It is found in Jesus. That's where they get their worth. Now, I know a lot of you in this room, because you grew up in the American culture, we haven't actually lived our lives this way. And again, this is why we spent the last four weeks talking about redemption and reconciliation and restoration and hope, because this is who God longs to restore us to. But if you have children, this is what you teach them. This. You teach them to be a wall. And so Solomon responds, he says, verse 13, O you who dwell in the gardens with companions listening to your voice, let me hear it. So they're still talking to the friends. And so she has actually grown up with these friends around her. And this is the group of girls like at the high school. It's like, oh, those are all walls. And all the boys go the other way and go try and find some doors, right? This, this is that group of girls. So she surrounds herself with a bunch of girls who are like, we're all walls. We got the rings. But not all like the crazy girls. This is good godly girls is who they are and so what happens here is when they meet each other they start to define the relationship in terms of these friendships that they have built around them ladies if you have a guy and you think he's a good guy he's going to have nothing to hide he will be want to meet your friends he'll want to meet your family he'll want to meet your gospel community and hopefully he will be uh, this good guy that's a good leader and he might even invite you to his and then he will lead you maybe to a different gospel community, maybe even to a different church. And and if he is a good guy that leads and it's a great church, we bless you. Go, go with a great guy who leads. But a lot of guys, what they do is they'll just run try and get you away from all of your friends so they can isolate you and lead you astray. A good guy is like you have a good church. Praise God, I'll meet anybody you want. She concludes, verse 14, Make haste, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains. This is very playful. She says, you know, you met my family, my friends, my mentors. They like you. I give my heart to you. Now we're married. And in privacy, she says, so come, my young stud, and you can climb the mountain. And Solomon says, praise God. <laughs> <laughs> Love is personal, protective, powerful, possessive, passionate, perseveres. It is priceless. Again, love cannot be taken. It must be given. And that's the view we must hand to our children. That is the view in how you parent you must give to your kids. Because what happens in childhood greatly affects what happens in your kids' marriages. Many kids are raised in homes where sex is not talked about at all. I don't even see how parents can actually ignore something that big because that's gigantic. I mean, there is a lot of encouragement here in these verses because this woman is probably, in the Song of Solomon, she's raised by a single mom. Her dad's never mentioned, only her brothers. So she's an incredible mom. If you're a single mom, you have the opportunity to be incredible. Now, I grew up not having a dad much in my life. I wish dads were actually, though, more around their kids because there are negative effects, statistically speaking, that comes upon children who do not have a father around them. This is not a knock on single moms. This is a knock on dads who abandon their kids. Statistically, our two greatest problems in our society today is our disconnect from our fathers in two ways. They're disconnect from our Heavenly Father and our Earthly Father. Statistically speaking, 20 to 44-year-olds are having less children today. The cohabitation rate is up, less children, and people aren't getting married. They see all these things as separated issues. But in the scriptures, sex, marriage, and children are all connected together. Today, a third of all conceptions are aborted. And within the next few years, studies have shown that a third of all birth certificates won't even have a father listed on them anymore. It'll just be father blank. 24 million children live absent of their biological fathers. That's four out of every 10, no dad in the home. Children from fatherless homes represent 71% of pregnant teenage girls. 71%. 
because they're more likely to engage in intercourse, the outcome, they now have another child, and the whole cycle starts all over again. Children from fatherless homes represent 90% of all homeless and runaway children, 63% of youth suicides, 75% of all adolescent patients in chemical abuse centers, 70% of juveniles in state-operated institutions, 85% of all youth sitting in prison, 85% of all children that exhibit behavioral disorders, 71% of all high school dropouts. And this is according to government statistical data. Fathers are huge, are huge. And you must understand that this is where guiding the hand of a dad comes along beside their kids. Mom and dads, you must watch your kids. I mean, you will never have to teach your kids how to sin. I promise you. They will do it naturally. Little kids lie. They whack each other. They're selfish. Jeremiah 17.9 says, Our heart is deceitful above all things. Yes, kids too. That's why you teach them about Jesus. You parent well and you educate them. But our goal is not to have good, morally compliant children. Our goal is to always have redeemed hearts. Kids who love Jesus. Obedience comes out of a redeemed heart. And so a wise parent instructs their kids to love them and Jesus. So they live a long and good life. Life. This means you must have expectations. You must help your kids to grow. Too many people today think at a church, it's a children's minister's job to teach your kid about Jesus. It's a, it's a youth minister's job to teach your kids about Jesus. No, it's nobody's responsibility but yours to raise your children. We will get your kids one to three hours a week. You get them the rest of the time. Who is the greater influence, right? Some dads can just be gone altogether. Some dads are actually present but they're all actually absent. They're lazy, they're selfish, they're abusive, they're bully, they, they yell. Maybe they, maybe they discipline, but they use it as a punitive measure to crush and, and, and to punish. They don't redirect their kids back to God. The Ten Commandments said you teach your kids to obey for the reason that they live a long life in the Lord. So you lovingly teach them. Ephesians 6, 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This means you see them through the season of life. You're not their buddy when they're a teenager. You are their parent. Later, when they grow up, you become their friend and their peer. Your relationship becomes reciprocal that way. So what I want to do for you right now, because I know there's some of you guys in here, like I have no idea even how to begin teaching my, my kids biblically. So I'm going to give you six ways to do that right now. I'll do it really quick, and then I'll let you guys out of here. Number one, this is how you do it. You start when they're little. You start when they're little. Proverbs 1, 4 says the scriptures are written with children in mind. 2 Timothy 3, 15, Paul says that Timothy knew the scriptures from the time he was a little kid, and that contributed to his wisdom. So you teach your kids when they are little. When they can't read, you read them Bible stories. You talk about the scriptures. You know, kids love Bible stories. If you're a dad and you're reading the Bible to your kids, you get to God. You know, thinks James Earl Jones. And make sure you do God voice. God said... That's the deepest I get. God's, God's you, know, you do God voice. You put it in there and you, and you let them hear it. Number two, you tell your kids the truth. When they ask you questions, you tell them the truth. You don't tell them about storks. That's just stupid. You should never be embarrassed about how God designed procreation. Now, if they're really small, you don't dump the whole load again. right? It's like, oh, well, let me tell you how it works. You don't need to do that, but you're honest about it. I mean, when you, when you talk about Jesus died, talk about what death is. Don't be afraid of it. They need to understand it's not just some platitude. We say Jesus died for our sins. That's a big deal. And that is why we repent, because we're not going to win a fight against God. Number three, you give your children reasonable memory verses. Okay? I mean, you don't say, here's Leviticus, son, you're four, memorize it. You don't do that. 
All right? You give them reasonable. You start when they're little. Bible questions. How many gods are there? One. Yeah, you get a Kit Kat. You know, something. You, you, you do, do something nice. They get older. Name three of the Ten Commandments. Maybe one day you say, you know, it was Jesus, God, or man. And they, re- they respond, hypostatic union. You say, you're going to seminary. And you, you send them off. Number four, live in such a way that your kids can imitate your life. You become a blessing to them. Proverbs 14, 26. He who fears the Lord has a secure fortress, and for his children it will be a refuge. Proverbs 20, verse 7. The righteous man leads a blameless life. Blessed are his children after him. If you want your kids to honor you, you know what you need to be? Honorable. If you want your kids to honor God, you know what you need to do? Honor God. If you want your kids to worship God, you know what you got to do? Worship God. Exactly. See, it kind of works just like that. You want your kids to say, my dad loves Jesus. He loves my mom. He loves me. I want to do that too. Number five, pray. Pray, pray, pray. I can just, all the way across, pray, 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 pray for your kids and with, you, with your kids. Job 1.5 says, Job prayed for his kids, even sacrificed for his kids. And when your kids see you pray, they will learn to do it naturally. And number six, if your kids do something wrong and they repent, you forgive them. You don't keep bringing it up over and over and over. It's terrible for a marriage. It's terrible for your kids. And this, again, will exacerbate them. Well, they think there is no true forgiveness from God if they can't get true forgiveness from you. You hug them and love them and move on. And then when love, when it is lived this way, kids naturally catch it and they will live with it. They will have a good self-esteem because they will see themselves through Jesus' eyes. When, when His love for them will be shown to your kids by how you love them. And when you and I live love that is personal and protective and powerful and possessive and passionate and perseveres and is priceless, they will understand that this love cannot be taken from them. It can only be given. And not will they understand life better, they'll understand God better as well. Because just like you can't buy love, we cannot buy salvation. And this is what's amazing about all these things about love. God's love is personal. God loves you. He loves you. God's love is protective. God's love steps between you and the enemy. God's love is powerful. It redeems us from sin. God's love is possessive. He calls us his children. And he promises that no one will ever snatch us out of his hand. God's love is passionate. God pursues his children with great love. And God's love perseveres. He holds us when we fall, and it is priceless. Our salvation is secured through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. The price of our salvation is God dying in our place for our sins and rising from the dead. That is priceless. Love echoes God's love for his people. This is how we are supposed to live. This is what we teach our children. Because this is how they will grow into the people God intends for them to be. When we're excited about these things. Take the notes on this, you know. Stick it in your wallet or your purse or whatever you got. And when you think, what do I got to teach you about? Powerful, protective, and just write it down. Keep it with you so you understand these things and live and walk with it. Again, this is one of the reasons why every week we invite you guys to communion. Communion, you take that cracker and you break it like Christ's body is broken for us. We dip it in the wine of the grape juice, representing his blood that was shed for you and I, so that we can be a people who understand his great love for us better, that he has sought us and redeemed us as his people. The band is going to come up, and as they do, we invite you guys to be able to come and take communion. Uh, there will be some people in the back, and if, and if you need prayer, maybe you have been in a place where you feel like, uh, I, I'm not knowing what this love feels like correctly, and, and I want to. I've never experienced this. I want to know more about this. Go and talk with them. They'd love to talk to you about it. Uh, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back, and we don't, we don't pass a plate here because we believe our giving should be a response to what God is doing in our hearts. So we place them on the side walls in the back. So your giving is done because you realize what God has done for you and I. So we naturally give. 
and then there's some food and stuff in the back. Uh, there's actually some strawberry lemonade left over from the lake yesterday that you didn't show up to. <laughs> you can have some of that, and hopefully you will connect with some other people back there. Go to the Welcome Center. Sign up for a gospel community. Take some of the questions on, on the back of this and ask your friends this and, and walk through some of these things so that we can begin to live and walk as the people God intends for us to be, understanding His love better and walking in the ways that He calls us to walk because God is a great and good God who has bestowed more love on us than we could ever, ever imagine. Let's pray. Part of this morning, I do ask that we as your people would come to understand your love better and better and better. Ah. (laughs) Thank you for things that wake us up when we're falling asleep. Uh, Father, we do lay ourselves uh, at your feet. And we ask that you would teach us and show us who we were always truly meant to be. We ask that we would live the love that you have given to us in front of other people that as you have sought us, we would then seek others with, with your great love as our goal, that, that, the, that you would gain much glory and joy because of how your children live. Father, take us, change us, renew us to be the people that you intend for us to be. We ask that you would take our hearts, take all that we are, have us see the redemption that we have in your hands so that we would begin to live that out more and more. Father, we ask that you would touch our children. You would reveal yourself to them and that you would bring them home. And they would understand your steadfast love. So as they grow up, the people they impact would grow and grow and grow. And you would create a movement of people that not only bring you glory, but understand your love and live as your hands and feet. So your great grace is known to all. We ask these things in your son's name. Amen.